Welcome to the Matthias Barker Podcast, everybody. This is a podcast about mental health and moving towards what's meaningful despite hardship. Today, we have a real treat. Today, we have Dr. Julie Smith on the podcast. I'm so looking forward to this. Like, this conversation was incredible. You know, she's someone I've really looked up to for a long time. She's an incredible psychologist. She's incredibly insightful, but also she was really a trendsetter in the space of making kind of short form mental health content in places like TikTok, places like uh, Instagram Reels. You know, she was really the first one that I encountered that that had some success with it. And I think a lot of people in the space of making kind of short form mental health content, we all look to her as the one who was the trendsetter. She's kind of the one who did it first and gave us all permission to give it a shot. So it's meaningful to get to talk to her. It always is. But uh, we get to talk about that just a little bit at the beginning of the podcast. But most of our podcast actually was on the topic of grief. She recently wrote a book and one of the chapters in her book was was on grief. And um, as some of you might know, I wrote an ebook on grief that's just free. You can find that in, in my link tree or on my website or whatever. And uh, we, we kind of compared our philosophies on it, but also I ended up just learning tons. She's, she's super insightful and had incredible metaphors. I'd, metaphors I've still been kind of chewing on since recording this, this podcast with her. And I'm really thankful for that, really thankful for this conversation. I think it's going to be really helpful if you're going through grief or if you have a loved one who's going through grief. This podcast really is a conversation on how do you support someone who's grieving or how do you welcome in someone into your process of grief in a way that's meaningful, in a way that uh, doesn't cross boundaries or make things worse. So I hope that you enjoy the episode. Before we dive in, let's hear from a few sponsors. And if you want an ad-free version of the podcast, if you don't want to be hearing ads, um, you can sign up for the ad-free version of my Patreon. So that comes with monthly meditations as well, meditations on trauma or healing or um, personal identity. So you'll get a monthly guided meditation in addition to an ad-free stream of this podcast. So um, before Dr. Julie, let's go ahead and jump into just a few sponsors. You know, I've been focusing a lot on my health this year and trying to focus on things like exercise and nutrition. And um, what that led me to was looking around at different supplements. And I realized a few things. It's really expensive to have to go buy all these individual supplements and then taking this big handful of pills every morning is kind of a drag. And, and then also making sure to catch up on all your vegetables and catch up on probiotics and all these different things. It's it's kind of a hassle. So when early on, when I was looking around at different options, I bought um, Athletic Greens and tried it out. It's a green drink that you kind of mix into some water or a smoothie in the morning and it has 75 different vitamins and minerals in it it has probiotics it has these green superfoods and I really enjoyed it and I thought it was a good fit for me I, I liked the effect that it had I felt like it was supporting my brain health my immune system and it was congruent with my value of wanting to prioritize my health so if that's you too if you're looking for something like that um, if you're looking for something that tastes good something you can just kind of like pour this powder into a drink and mix up and go instead of having to buy all these individual supplements something a bit more affordable than that uh, check out Athletic Greens um, you can go to athleticgreens.com slash Barker, and you'll get a few things. You'll get a year supply of vitamin D, and you'll get five free travel packs with your first purchase. I don't know if you felt this way, but I've always felt like there's a lot of opinions out there on what you should be doing with nutrition and your health and vitamins and supplementation. And it's hard to actually judge what is necessary and maybe what isn't right for your body. Like everyone's body is a little bit different. And so how do I know if something is right for me 
um, or if something's just right for you. And so Inside Tracker kind of has a solution to this. This is a company that I reached out to that I think is really doing great work, and they're a leading team of uh, geneticists and experts in aging and scientists in biometrics. And what they do is they analyze your blood work and your DNA, and they come up with a personalized plan and recommendations based off of your particular body type <laughs> and your particular blood type and DNA uh, as far as you know nutrition or supplementation or exercise go. And you can track it over time. That's what's cool is you can actually send in your blood work progressively over time and and you can see are the recommendations actually leading to better health and and they actually explain it all out and they tell you why the recommendations are working and it's all in an app on your phone and what's cool too is it actually can sync to your apple watch as well and so you can give them fitness data they can track your fitness data on your phone or on your apple watch and send them that info as well so if you want to check it out insidetracker.com matthias if you go to that link you'll get 20 percent off their entire store really recommend it it's a great company check them out I talk to a lot of parents who are really worried about their child running into pornographic material online and just the effects that that graphic material could have just on their development, especially when they're surprised they weren't expecting it, like they're really young. It can actually have some pretty detrimental mental health effects on them. It could change just their neural pathways, how they're developing sexually. That premature exposure to pornography can have a huge impact. And so a huge value of mine is really connecting people to those tools that they can use to protect their kids. So the one I'd recommend is Canopy. Canopy uses artificial intelligence to keep your kids away from stuff that could be well really harmful for them so if that's a value of yours if you want to set up a structure around your kids internet use and be able to monitor that I think canopy is the best stuff out there it's it's really sharp material so if you go to canopy.us backslash Matthias um, you can use Matthias the discount code and what's cool is you're gonna get 30 days free just to check it out make sure it's the right fit and then you have 20% off the regular price forever when you use that discount code Matthias at checkout so highly recommend Julie, it's so great to see you. Thanks for agreeing to come on the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. I've been really excited about it. And I know we've had to sort of rearrange a couple of times, haven't we? And it's always been disappointing. Yeah. So it's nice to, to finally be able to sit down and just have a good chat. Yeah. Well, we uh, I think the time difference of you being in the UK, of course, is a bit of a boundary, but we always find a way to persist. We figure out a way, this golden hour of time where we're both awake and that's you know, it. Available. The babies are in bed. The house is quiet. We're ready to go. You might just hear the jingle of a bell as my dog sort of wanders in and out, but that's about it. That's as quiet oh, that's as it gets good. in this house. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Julie, for some people who are listening, who might not know who you are that follow my work, why don't you give them just like a little bit of um, a snapshot of what you do day to day and, and uh, what's your life been like lately? Sure. So um, I'm a clinical psychologist. So um, nor well, before the kind of social media stuff all happened, um, yeah, so day to day, I would normally be uh, doing therapy one to one with people uh, in between being a mum to my three children. Mm -hmm. And, and then once, uh, you know, TikTok and YouTube and Instagram all kind of started, um, that has really sort of taken over. And through the pandemic, I was I was writing my book, and that um, felt like it took forever, although actually, it kind of happened fairly quickly. Um, and so now, I'm back to sort of content creation and, and, um, you know, it was a, it was a sort of stalled for a while while I was writing cause I couldn't do it all at once. And, um, so now I feel like I'm sort of diving back in and having had a bit of a break, really enjoying kind of making videos again and stuff like that. Mm. So yeah, day to day is, is mostly at home alone, talking into my phone, like most of the other people in the country. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I mean, your work is is something that stood out to me. I mean, several years ago, even before I started posting on TikTok or Instagram or anything, you were the first person that I really saw trying to kind of leverage maybe some of these new technological advances through social media and trying to bring like really substantive evidence-based psychological information to the masses. And there's plenty of people sharing kind of their life opinions or lots of motivational speakers, lots of coaches, and, and not to downgrade what any of those men or women are doing. That's great. That's great work. But maybe something that set you apart, I thought was, oh, here's someone who actually like really has um, a lot of expertise in her field and has done like the hard work <laughs> of going to school and getting the PhD. And uh, she's done her homework, I guess, so to speak. Um, and she's making this so approachable and so available for so many people without necessarily having to know all the insider lingo, without having to know all the acronyms and all the terms. You had just a, a talent for that. And, and I think in a lot of ways, it gave permission for a lot of people who are on looking like myself to give that a try, because a lot of us weren't sure, is that even doable? To, um, to take some of these insights that feel so at home in a therapy room within the context of an individual life, but to try to almost boil the, the truth of it down, to distill it down, to make something that we could present in like a minute. And, and could that be substantive? Could that have a positive effect or would it just water it down? And I think you were the first example of someone who's like, oh no, like it, it kept something essential. It kept something important. And then it had a transformational effect that was positive. It wasn't it didn't ruin it to maybe like we all thought it might <laughs> to try to boil it down. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I thought it would ruin it too at the beginning when um, our initial idea was to sort of make some YouTube videos and things like that, or I could just talk things out and, you know, take mm -hmm. 20 minutes over it. And, and it was my husband who said, you should put some videos on here. You know, there's lots of young people expressing their distress on here, but nobody's really, um, you know, sharing anything helpful of what we could find at the time. And, um, and I had the same reservations as probably most other people do and thought, no way, that would just be awful. And it wouldn't be enough information or it wouldn't be, you know, all of those kind of normal doubts. And, and we've kind of, we proved ourselves wrong really by just having a go you know you can kind of dismiss something and it's not until you try that you realize it's not as impossible as you think it is and and it is more helpful than you think it's going to be you know lots of people I guess when we learned when I was a research, research assistant we um we were researching in an addictions unit about um how the best way to train clinicians and and you know whether you know like one day's training is enough and whether you have to kind of um be supervised over a long period of time those kind of things and during that time I remember hearing about how when you do a sort of day's workshop you tend to take away you know just sort of I don't know what was it 10 or 20 percent or something of the day or you take away two or three core messages from the day and that's what you hold on to and you kind of forget the rest and and when you kind of th think about it like that actually these short bite-sized bits of information do make sense because you can just take one message and then take it away digest it you can save the video so you can come back to it and think about it again. And, and, and in some ways that does make more sense. I mean, I love, I love going on to places like YouTube and listening to kind of long videos and podcasts and just really kind of doing the deep dive mm. stuff. And I love that, but mm. actually some like, for example, quite a few of your videos actually, where you, you have a, a very specific message, you take 60 seconds over it and I'll listen to it. 
and then I'm just kind of mulling it over and then the video plays again and then because it's played a couple of times to me but it's just that one core message I then think about it the rest of the day and it kind of mulls over my mind and it stays with me then whereas perhaps if that had been you know that that little piece of information had been you know in the middle of a massive video maybe I would have glossed over it or missed it or moved on to the next bit of information you were talking about so actually I've kind of learned to really value the short stuff um yeah. in its own right um I think it definitely has its place yeah oh so well put yeah I think that and what's interesting too in a world of algorithms it's it's kind of spooky how sometimes the algorithm knows what you need to hear you know at a certain time if it knows that you're going through a hard time like um, like we're actually planning a move right now um, to uh, Nashville, Tennessee, to the South United States. And so um, we're moving over from Spokane, Washington. And it's like my algorithm knew months before I announced it that I was moving. <laughs> like it just maybe through my <laughs> cookies, maybe through whatever that it started playing, I don't know, showing me videos of Nashville and the country music and the, and the restaurants that I want to see. And I'm just like, how did it know? How did it know that I'm I, like, even before maybe I Googled Nashville too early and then it, it, it maybe made the connection, but uh, a comment I get, and I see it on your feed a lot too. A comment I get is like, oh man, this just came at the right time. So there's yeah. a lot of like, I'm sure it's, it's, that's not a neutral force. I'm sure there's positive and negatives to the algorithm world. And we're learning that as we go, but maybe one aspect that is redeemable for some people is when they're going through a hard time, when they really do are going through a struggle. It's like, when I make a video on breakups, TikTok knows how to put my video in front of people who are going through a breakup. Or when I make a video on an affair or on, um, I don't know, loving someone through alcoholism or grief. I, I don't know how it does it, but it knows how to put that video to people who are going through that thing. Have you found that to be the case too? Yeah, absolutely. And in a world where we tend to kind of think negatively of algorithms as, you know, um, seeking you out to sell you stuff, actually as you know probably clinicians like ourselves and there are others out there who are trying to reach people to help them it's almost it feels a bit like you're hijacking the system doesn't it and putting something good into it and and giving something positive and um so it feels like a you know a bullseye doesn't it when you kind of managed to reach someone who needed to be reached or felt that that video was exactly what they needed to hear that day. And it feels like, yes, you know, something in the system mm -hmm. is working and, and, you know, there's just no greater feeling than realizing that you've reached someone and made even the slightest bit of positive difference to their day. Yeah. Um, so that's meaningful. yeah. Yeah. It's a really satisfying mm -hmm. kind of part of the process, I think. Yeah. And it makes the, um, the task, I suppose, of what we're doing kind of unique in that, we can kind of spread our attention to multiple kinds of topics and multiple different domains. And, and in a weird way, this technology will, will let the people who are interested in that particular topic, get access to it. If it's of substance, if it's good. And, and so I, you know, reflecting on that, um, just smiled when I saw all the different topics in your book and you essentially kind of did this in a book as well, where you covered this large different buffet of different ideas um, knowing that in the right time, they're going to be relevant for different people kind of along the path. Was that, tell me about your intention behind that. What was your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I was really kind of, uh, stuck for a while, whether I went into one very sort of niche subject and, you know, did a kind of deep dive in one area. Um, but I realized actually 
you know, there are certain things that all of us go through at some point, you know, like, you know, everybody has days where they wake up and their mood isn't as buoyant as they like it to be, or they just don't feel motivated to do something, but they really have to get it done or they're grieving or um, they feel stressed about work or whatever it is. There are kind of different things that, that we all face at some point. And, and I felt like there was, you know, the reason I did all this social media stuff in the first place was because I felt that there was this sort of gem, all, all of these gems of advice that came out of therapy or insights and concepts that were mm. in therapy and available to people in therapy, but didn't seem part of that wider education for people. They didn't seem easily accessible for people because a lot of people were coming into therapy, learning one of, one or two of these skills and going, why on earth has nobody told me this before? This is really (laughs) helping, you know, this isn't rocket science. It's really simple to learn. But when I put it into my life every day, God, it's making a difference. You know, Mm. how, how did I not learn this in school or something? And so I kind of, I felt a bit excited with the chance to write a book. I kind of thought, well, you know, what do I want to, to give out to the world? And, And the reason I started all this in the first place was to give all of that. So it wasn't to do sort of one thing in depth. It was to say, yeah, there are these lots of really helpful things from therapy that help with this, that, and the other. Um, and so I wanted to be sure that, you know, I, I don't like always to read a book cover to cover. I like to be able to dip in, mm-hmm. get the information I'm looking for that day and get out again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I wanted to kind of separate it into those kind of different problem areas and stuff. Um, and to just make it as concise as possible so that people could dip in get a little bit of information that just could help, you know, it doesn't solve all your problems. It doesn't take all those things away, but it might just give you that extra tool for the day to get you through that difficult moment. Um, which mm. I think was, you know, really what all this kind of journey was about for me. Mm. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, I've, uh, I've really enjoyed thumbing through the book. I've been kind of hopping around to different chapters and, and I really enjoy it. I think that you have a cool way of really um, making the information approachable, but also I love even your chapter summaries and how you kind of really make it like I can read it, I can absorb it, I can comprehend it. And then it's very memorable. Like you had a very, um, yeah, uh, sophisticated way of, <laughs> of painting all these ideas in a way that's really memorable that you really grab onto it. One of the chapters I, I spent the most time in was your one on grief. Um, Cause you, you might know, I wrote an ebook on grief uh, recently, probably in the last year. Um, and so yeah. I spent a lot of time thinking about grief and trying to make a piece that would be helpful for people who were going through grief. And I, I really enjoyed your approach to it. What, what inspired you to write a chapter on grief? Why was that one of the topics that you felt you it's really to address? In, it, it's really interesting that you the, pick up on that section because that was the one section that until quite close to the end remained um, sort of penciled in. Like it was... Yeah. Oh, that sounds like yeah. a good idea, but I, I found myself writing around it and avoiding it. Yeah. And, um, and because I knew I, not on a conscious level, but I, I, um, I didn't want to write it. I, I knew it was going to be hard to write and it's hard yeah. to read about. It's hard to research. It's painful. I lost both my grandparents in the last two years. So there was probably a sort of personal grieving aspect there as well that I knew, you know, reading about it would bring up my own things and make it difficult to write. And so um, there was an element of just sort of pure avoidance. Um, And then I sort of, I don't know, I I had a day where I just sort of got a bit honest with myself about it. And, and, you know, I just asked myself, why do I not want Mm. this to be in there? 
because it's hard to write. Mm -hmm. And then I realized it needs to be in there probably more than any other chapter. Um, so, and, and I was becoming more aware of the work of Julia Samuel, who I'm just a massive fan of at the moment. I think she's brilliant. Um, a real expert in her area around grief. And I included some of her work in there. Um, just to just to sort of give a few insights I mean it's not hugely in depth it's not it's probably not as as detailed as your ebook for example which is all about grief um it's just those few insights to say there are some certain things you can do that help but there are also certain ways of conceptualizing grief and understanding grief um that can help you to get through um and so things that I read about that I found helpful myself and that I've seen other people find helpful, I kind of put in there. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, what inspired you to write about grief? Hmm. Well, I think it was similar. I, I lost my grandmother um, at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, she, she had Alzheimer's um, and she was already pretty ill. And I think that COVID was something that kind of pushed over the threshold. And so it was... Um, it was, of course, we were all mourning, but it wasn't maybe like a, a shock and a sudden thing that was outside of the context. Like we were like, yeah, we knew that she was kind of going to pass soon, but maybe shorter than we would have all hoped. And, um, and that was right around the same time that my daughter was born. And so it was this interesting contrast that I was personally kind of going through of a life beginning and a life ending and a generation beginning and a generation ending. Um, and noticing, especially my father grieved his mother because he took it really, really hard. Um, his mother was his rock, you know, and, and, but then also watching him just beam with excitement over my daughter and has just, uh, with exuberance, really, they, they just have a really fun friendship. <laughs> it's fun. Even this 11 month old just like beams and lights up with excitement when grandpa walks in the room and, and they have a special connection, a special bond that's, um, unique in our family. And yeah, it's, it was for me kind of settling into this idea of like, Oh, the reason this hurts so bad is because it matters so much. And how do I agree without making it matter less? And that was maybe the place, the launching point in my process of trying to write about grief was how do I process this and think about this and navigate the emotional pain without maybe pulling the ripcord on it and just saying, oh, this grandma needs to matter less. I need to love her less or she needs to matter. Like she has to be expendable in order for me to move on. Like almost to move on in general, to make that even the goal felt like an insult to her memory of like, I don't want to live in a world where she isn't a necessity. And, and that, I guess, intellectual, emotional, practical conundrum was something I wanted to untangle. Um, yeah. yeah. What, it, what comes up for you as I <laughs> talk about that launching point for me? Yeah. It's kind of, it's, um, it's fascinating that, that, that insight around wanting to hold on to that connection and something that really stayed with me when I was sort of researching was about how the relationship with a person doesn't go away and your need for the relationship with the person doesn't go away mm. and that it doesn't have to 
but that there it's a change in the relationship so it's finding a way to have a relation continued connection with that person without them physically being present and mm. and I remember kind of reading about ideas around rituals and uh you know memorials and things like that mm. and um and that really struck me actually because my uh, someone in my family who is my age lost her husband um, in the last few years and and they have children and you know there's whole uh, kind of questions around how do you do that with 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 children and young young people yeah. who who are grieving a parent whose grief will be you know ongoing throughout their life with each you know um milestone that, that the parent isn't there for and, and those sorts of things you know how do you kind mm -hmm. of um sort of remold a relationship or a connection of some sort without the person physically being there and mm. and those kind of things really sort of struck me really that um that you could do that um can you give me some examples of what that would even look like well i guess you know, for some people, it might be going to, you know, I guess a traditional process might be going to a graveyard and, and sitting with a stone or a, some sort of cross or mm -hmm. whatever the memorial is, you know, a place where you can, and certainly having, you know, sort of worked with, with people who are grieving over in the past um, in clinic, you know, people would find it helpful to have a place to go, you know, mm -hmm. I, I um, working with people who had, even if it's, um, a specific bench in a park or a tree or a, a certain thing that reminds you or helps you to feel connected to that person that becomes a place you can go to sit quiet the mind and feel connected to that person um which just seemed I, actually there's a kind of real theme to that through sort of people that have worked with over the years um and for every person, it's slightly different. You know, it doesn't have to be a, a place outside of your own home even, does it? And um, I don't know. I mean, do you have a, a kind of yeah. place? Well, what comes up for me, even as you're explaining that, is is also the artifacts. There has to almost be an embodied way of connecting to something symbolically attached to them. Like, they're, like the place, I know for my father, it was my grandma's jewelry and she had this bell collection. She loved to connect bells. And so there was these bells that were kind of distributed throughout the family. And yeah. it was like this object, like in, um, I don't know, and that has a, a lot of even like religious significance sometimes in different cultures, like these artifacts, these, I forget the term for it. Um, but sometimes these artifacts actually can contain blessings or contain um, certain, um, yeah, just symbolic significance in different ways and it's it's through connecting almost in physical space to something that has passed through physical space that some of those wounds open up and are attended to or how would you explain that yeah no I, I I absolutely agree with that and it kind of made me think of my so um we lost my grandmother in October and she didn't have a lot of kind of physical sort of treasures or anything but something that we had she she was a sort of center point of the family and so we would all when we were children we would all go and, and sit around the table and we'd all have a Sunday race together when we were very very young 
and we all had a little china plate with our names on and a little kind of picture of a you know a little kid or whatever and mm-hmm. and we all kind of remembered it was just a fun memory that we would all sit around the table with our roast dinners and we'd all have our own named plate that was you know special and it was ours and that was the one thing that I I got so when my mum sort of um cleared the house and everything she gave me the plate with my name on and um that's sort of become my my object I guess I don't really have a specific place that I go to she lived further away so I don't have a specific place around here that particularly reminds me of her or makes me feel connected to her and the plate just sits in the cupboard and but when I notice it and when I spot it or sometimes I'll I'll get it out and the children use it and things (laughs) then it just it just brings up these memories that might not otherwise be triggered and that help you to kind of then feel that closeness or that connection for a moment and it only has to be for a few moments and sometimes that's enough um to be it's nice to be triggered um in a way that is a is a a lovely wonderful memory wow whether you know know, rather than just always being triggered about the death you know that it's nice Mm -hmm. to to have something that that sparks the celebration of life i guess uh, what a beautiful way to put it yeah, actually leaning into triggers that connect you to something meaningful. Mm. Huh. Yeah, yeah, and what they meant to you and and continue to mean to you and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's so good. There's there's almost a um a shift from connecting to the actual person in physical space to connecting to um some of the values and the ways that they made your life meaningful. And in connecting to those things, that's how they continue. Yeah. throughout your life yeah. that's how they actually start to permeate and spread throughout your life is is um bringing them closer i, I heard yeah. that in your book too um you were talking about just this uh the resistance we have to not wanting to feel the pain and then this suspiciousness we have when the pain and the memories arise and feeling like we should be over it by now we should be moving on past this by now we should be not feeling as sad or not feeling as distracted or as depressed And I think it's the most counterintuitive thing in the world to go through grief. And then for someone to say, press into and lean into the triggers and the pain, there's something in there that's meant for you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. How did you address that? How did you unpack that? Yeah. I mean, I, I start in the book. um, I think this went into the final cut, but I, I remember writing about the idea of, a lake and I I kind of feel like you sometimes the pain of grief can be so overwhelming it is like a sort of vast sort of area of water almost because you can feel like you're drowning in it can't you you see there's some sort of ocean I think I wrote about Mm -hmm. it being a lake and um a lake of sort of kind of pain and you don't have to dive in head first but you also don't have to completely avoid it and it's this idea that you sorry I'm keep sort of breathing funny because of you know, got COVID. Um, yeah. so, You're not feeling well. Slight aside oh. there, got COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, everyone, if I yeah. sniff. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I kind of had this idea that you you can um, you don't have to dive in head first and be overwhelmed by you know if you feel like you couldn't possibly be um, you know swim in that lake because it just is overwhelming and and you wouldn't be able to do it. Well, you can start by kind of stepping in. You know, you can put a mm. foot in or you can go up to your knees and you can 
experience being in that grief in those feelings for a while and then practice stepping back out again and that's really something that I learned from Julia Samuel is this idea that that it's important to feel the pain but it's important to also step back and replenish that you can't you can't be in the thick of it all the time um without you know really sort of going downhill so you you know you can step into it feel that sadness feel all the other feelings that come with it too and they're all okay um and then you can come back out again um and you can it's okay to distract yourself for a while it's okay to Mm. feel like you need um some kind of you know i don't know any kind of distraction that just gives you a little bit of rest, even if it's just for minutes or hours before you next get reminded again. Um, so it's this idea that you can kind of rest a moment before the next trigger. And then, and then you go through that stress response again. Um, mm-hmm. So it's this idea of kind of dipping in and out of the lake, I guess. Wow. That's such a great metaphor. Cause it, it brings in a layer that I think a lot of people miss too, where it's like, oh, I just got to feel it. I just got to let it in. I just got to process it. And I think almost it's ironic, almost in a way to avoid the grief. I dive into the lake just to get it all over with now so that then I can avoid the lake later. And yeah, it's, it's an interesting game. It's almost like a bargain that we play with ourselves. It's like, okay, I'll essentially traumatize myself now in exchange for relief later. Um, and that, and that doesn't seem to that bargain never seems to go through <laughs> that way. It's so true is that you end up then sort of ping-ponging from a sort of deep emotional state to a complete blocking state where you're just trying mm-hmm. to numb out. Um, mm-hmm. And then you kind of, yeah, just kind of get battered back and forth and yeah. feel like you're out of control of it um, mm-hmm. rather than necessarily choosing to go there. And um, and that's where the, having the place can be so helpful, right? You know, if you kind of, um, I worked through before where when they feel that need to uh, sort of release some of the sadness or whatever feelings are built up, they can go to that place. That's the place to kind of release that feeling, feel the connection, um, feel all the feelings that come up. And then when they step away from that place, they're stepping back to life as it as it goes on and and are able to kind of re-engage with family and friends um if they need to and um not necessarily to kind of keep grief private necessarily or you know that it's anything to be kept very separate it doesn't have to be you know those things those things we can do with our family and Mm -hmm. you know it's okay to kind of take family to those places if that's you know if you want to all connect together and you know if you all lost a family member I guess um yeah yeah that's so good yeah it's um sometimes we can almost get this double-sided guilt where it's like i'm guilty for not processing it and avoiding it and then i'm also guilty for not moving past it and guilty for it affecting me so much and if our brains are clever they'll figure out ways to you know shame ourselves (laughs) for whatever stage or whatever experience we're having in grief i should be beyond this by now or i should be processing that why am i avoiding And the thing that can interrupt that maybe that critical pathway is allowing yourself to have a rhythm back and forth. It sounds like kind of dipping a toe in, experiencing that, moving off into a place that, and giving yourself permission to distract yourself. Like my little catchphrase around distraction is like, 
it's okay to distract yourself if you're distracting yourself towards a locus of meaning, towards something that's in your values. That's actually totally okay. Um, avoidance is bad or distraction is bad when you're going away from something meaningful onto something that just gets rid of emotional pain. Yeah. And yeah. that's where we can kind of get stuck. It's the art of just shifting focus, shifting attention is actually a huge asset in processing. Well, anything that's emotionally unsettling, whether that's trauma or grief or anything hard. Yeah. I mean, um, it's one of the skills taught in DBT about sort of mm-hmm. um, getting through intense, painful emotion. Right. But it's taught in a way that's very clear that it's a temporary tool. And, and it's mm-hmm. if you are really, really struggling, it works in the short term, but is not to be used exclusively as a, you know, a tool for all situations and all emotions. It's, um, it's one tool in the box, isn't it? But I like the idea of it kind of distraction, um, you know, thinking kind of carefully about distracting in a way that is in line with your values. So doing something that adds to your life in some way, um, rather than something that could become destructive and addictive and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's rejuvenation and then there's just kind of cheap distraction. And I think that there's a place for cheap distraction in the sense of it's okay for me just to hop on TikTok and <laughs> or or Instagram and just scroll through because oh, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, this is hard and this is something that kind of gets my mind off things. Um but like we said in temporary in temporary kind of doses and then there's there's things that might regulate some of the emotions but actually kind of impose consequences of their own. They come with a bill that is more expensive than we want to pay. And I'm thinking of things like alcohol or substances or even um, expressions of extreme anger or violence. It's, uh, it feels like it discharges all the emotional energy that is pent up in our chest, but, um, but it's, it's often harder to find those ways of addressing that emotional tension. Uh, yeah. And ways yeah. that align with our values. It takes some processing, like you're, like you're saying. Something. Yeah. And actually, if you're going through something really difficult, uh, like a bereavement, you're all the more vulnerable to those more destructive, addictive um, mm. patterns. And so you almost have to be even more careful than you might normally. Um, you know, mm. someone might enjoy having a glass of wine, for example, but um they might then make a careful decision not to do that too regularly when they're grieving or in really, you know, lots of pain because, um, because maybe they know that it's something they enjoy and and they're really struggling right now and they don't want it to become a, um, uh, you know, an unhelpful um, process. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you've got to take extra care of yourself when you know you're going through something really, really tough. Um, and try and have lots of tools at your disposal rather than um, kind of setting all of your sights on one thing that could then become um, detrimental. Yeah. So it's like, you know, to summarize, it's kind of this rhythm of getting in contact with the emotional pain, allowing yourself times to rejuvenate and to rest, um, allowing those times of rejuvenation and rest to kind of take their time however they present themselves with being watchful on you know are the ways that i'm trying to regulate this emotional pain um maybe causing more of a problem than the emotional pain (laughs) so being wary of substance being wary of how we're um, discharging things like a temper or anger um being aware of how we're connecting to other people to to not 
make things more complicated is valuable and maybe some positives, some positive ways to connect and maybe even rejuvenate is in physical and embodied ways, like getting in touch with a place or an item or a symbol that is um, related to the person that you lost and allowing yourself just to, to be there. I think um, a lot of people think of processing as this intellectual, I got to understand all the different aspects. I got to go through all the memories. I got to do this, that. And, and I think what I've seen, especially in grief is that the body will guide you through it. If, if you're willing to listen to it. And sometimes that looks actually like a very quiet experience. I've, I've worked through with couples through grief that the majority of our sessions are actually kind of sitting in solitude together. And it doesn't include me asking a bunch of stories or asking them about all these little details or what are you going to do next or anything like that. It's just um, presence. I think that's just the the most beautiful part about therapy. I, you know, I was so strange. I was thinking about this today um, that when I first, um, I wasn't trained yet, but when I first graduated from my psychology degree and I was getting kind of experience in the mental health field. So I was working as um, like a primary care worker, which is a kind of unqualified um, therapeutic kind of assistant in primary care. And so it was my first sort of dive into doing clinical work and sitting with people. And, and I was so um, anxious to get it right that I was sort of whenever I was in this communal office in between sessions I would have these pile of books and I'd be looking at what am I going to do in the session <laughs> what am I going to say what am I going to ask and what what am yeah. I going to offer and yeah. and there was this other guy that worked there who'd worked there for years and he would kind of terrify me because he would say just forget the books just be there just be I'm like what no you can't just be I've got to offer something and it's got to be you know a piece yeah. of paper or something written down and it's got to be a thing and um and I still remember that kind of terrified feeling of the idea of just being and not mm. offering some kind of solution and um and actually those some of those moments that I've had in therapy with people have been some of the most powerful where we just sit in silence and mm. it gets me now kind of thinking about some of those moments where they can be moments of real change for people, but mm. nothing is really said or very little is said. Um, but you both feel it in the room. You both feel something because you, because you know of, everything that's led up to this and mm. what they're dealing with today and what the feelings are that are there. And so sometimes it only takes a few words. Um, and, and you have that such close therapeutic relationship and that connection that you can both kind of sit there and feel what's, what's in the room. It's really, really special part of the job. What would you say to someone who's maybe listening that wants to support someone that they love that's going through grief? So that could be the instance of there's a family member that's lost. And so you're going through your own process, but you're also trying to be there for mom or be there for your brother or whatever, or just the instance of someone that you care about, maybe a spouse or a friend that lost somebody and you want to be there for them. Do you know this? Um, I, I think I, I probably did this myself where in the past, if someone is grieving, you have this sense that you need to say something that makes them feel better that you need to um, 
not make it okay, but you need to say the right thing. Um, and you need to talk about it. And actually, sometimes you can talk about it and you can be open and, and, and mention it. But all of your time with that person doesn't have to be spent on it. You know, that, that yes, someone is grieving, but they're also continuing to live. And so actually, if you can be that friend that helps to distract them for an, from an hour, for an hour, you know, maybe that person has spent all morning in tears because they're struggling to cope. If you can take them out for a cup of tea in a cafe and, and laugh at something silly for 10 minutes, then to me, that's pretty good support. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have to be the therapist who opens up, you know, emotional wounds and you don't have to do that part to be supportive. If you don't feel able to do that part, that's okay. There are other ways to support people. You know, it might be that you walk your dogs together every other day and that's just relaxing. Maybe you don't even talk. You can support someone without saying a word, you know, you can just be next to them and and by that they will know this person cares about me you know so there are so many ways and I think that's something that I kind of learned over the years of you don't have to say the right thing all the time and and it's okay if you're worried about getting it right to say that to say look you know I I really care about you I love you I, I'm I'm so sorry that this happened to you and I want to support you the best way I can and I have absolutely no idea how to get that right so if you let me know when I'm getting it wrong, I won't be offended. I promise you. So if I'm doing something and it's really annoying you or it's making you feel worse, just let me know and I will adjust because I want to get it right for you and I want to do the best I can to support you. So if there's anything you think I can do or if you think I should do less of, let me know. And, and sometimes that's it, you know, just opening it up to, to say, we can talk about anything and it doesn't matter. You can let me know if I get it right. You can let me know if I get it wrong, but I'm here for you and I, I care for you. Um, and it's okay to have so those good. conversations. I mean, how about you? No, I, I love what you said. I think I, I would reflect a lot of those same things. I, I kind of little statement I say is just use the ingredients they put on the table. Don't bring your own. And what we mean by that is we have an, a conception of the kind of food that they like to eat. And so we oh yeah, I can cook with paprika or I can cook with salt and pepper. They're going to like that, you know, but then that wasn't actually what they wanted to eat at all. So wait for the ingredients they bring to the table and then use those. And, and what I mean by that is maybe they want to talk about stories about their dog that passed and maybe that's what they want to do. Maybe they don't. And so thinking about, oh, I know the story of this time that we all went out to the beach with the dog. I'm going to tell them my experience of that time of the story. And that would be really warm. That'd be really positive. Right. And they'd, they'd really like that maybe, but then it just makes them cry and they just shut down. And then they want to just go hang out by themselves and they're like, ah, oh, crap, I failed. And, and what's, you know, quote unquote wrong about that. Wasn't that you had a warm story about the dog that you wanted to share. It was just, you know, you were trying, you brought your own ingredients. And when we're trying to support someone in grief, if they start talking about warm stories about the dog, then yeah, share the story that you have from the beach. Like that's, that's a great thing to share because you're using ingredients they brought to the table. But if they are sitting in silence, enjoy that silence with them. And like you're saying, you, um, you kind of being a pillar that they can lean on even in the solitude is a great help. And oftentimes we want to say the thing that makes it feel better. Say the, 
thing that helps make it okay. But that's, um, you know, the less that we can bring in our own <laughs> food preferences into the, into the cooking time, the more that we can be there for what is going to nourish them. And yeah, so that's loosely kind of some of the advice I'd give. That's such a lovely idea. I'm going to hold on to that actually, because I think even if the person isn't grieving, even if they're going through something other than grief, um, that makes sense, right? To, Mm -hmm. if you're, if you're struggling to understand how best to help, I think that kind of metaphor would fit whatever the problem is. And, um, just as a kind kind of of a therapy philosophy for me, it's, it's kind of how Mm -hmm. I just, I do most of my therapy is because I'm a guy who's full of ideas, full of little catchphrases. That's, that's why I'm, I'm good on TikTok. <laughs> but like, but, but uh, that's, I, I try to only work with the ingredients they bring. And so if someone's here and they're working through, you know, the grief of an affair, I have all this data I can pull offhand. I have little snippets that I think might be helpful, this or that. I've made 10 videos on affairs. Like I have all sorts of little things, but being very mindful of like what ingredients are they bringing to the table? Because maybe they want to just rant about their partner and talk about what a terrible person they are. And it's like, all right, I'm going to listen and I'm going to hear them out. Maybe not pour gas on that fire. Maybe they do. Maybe they just want to riff. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's what Tuesday afternoon looks like, I guess. And so there's a, (laughs) there's that stage of it. And then there's moments of grief where it's just like, oh, this relationship's never going to be the same. And that's not fair. And I can never just have this experience again the way I used to and then holding that it would be inappropriate to go back to the arousing anger part even though that was appropriate even maybe 10 minutes ago um to to talk about how frustrating it was and how unfair it all is but then the ingredients changed and and now we're in the part of grief and reflecting on all the things that they won't have access to anymore um it would be inappropriate perhaps in that moment to start bringing in hope of like, well, I mean, this is the same and this is okay. And well, what about this? Cause again, maybe you're adding ingredients there that they didn't bring to the table and it thinks like, well, you know, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to help? And it's like, maybe our company and maybe us being in the place where they're at instead of the place that we think they should be is something that's genuinely helpful. And there's a time to remind someone of values or to be confrontational. There's a time to like try to to push against something that someone's saying. I'm not saying that's never appropriate, but I'm just saying that generally as a rule of thumb to to ask the question, what are they trying to make in this moment? What's the place that they're in? And how can I meet them there? Because I have ideas about where we could go. I have ideas about how I would process this, how this affects me, but that's not why I'm here. The reason I'm here is for them. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's easier in a in a therapeutic context, isn't it? Because there is mm. that kind of setup, and and often when you have kind of friends in a circle, I'm sorry, everyone, I keep like wiping my nose. I'm, I'm full <laughs> of COVID. Um, when you kind mm. of have friends in a group and they're all kind of um, chatting, and and a, a sort of friendship conversation tends to go more like that, doesn't it? Where people chip in their perspectives and and stuff like that. And I guess there is a, in some ways that can be really helpful because it gives us where, where in therapy, we get that kind of total open field for our own, our own emotional experience, our own perspectives. It can be really nice when 
in a in a friendship group where people are so forthcoming with their different perspectives it can feel like everyone's just kind of chucking their stuff on the table and and you can you then get mm-hmm. sort of you can fact check your kind of thought processes and stuff um in ways that you might not have asked for otherwise mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so it can be really kind of great for kind of shifting perspective in a natural way and stuff like that uh, especially with friends that you trust and you, you value their opinions mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. that um but when it comes to things like grief um sometimes when that happens and when people chuck their opinions on the table um it can be really jarring because if you're not there yet then you're not there yet and there's nothing that could you know and and often that can come in the form of I don't know um different I think that's when people try to make it better isn't it and they try to make the person feel better in the moment and they're just not going to and that's okay um but that's uncomfortable for people to sit with that they're not sure they feel like it's their responsibility to make the person feel better mm-hmm. in the moment and um and that's when I think with grief it can feel like a different um kind of different ball game compared to yeah. I don't know if someone's talking about a relationship or something mm-hmm. um yeah I don't know what your thoughts no I think you're totally right I remember a um a trip I went on once with a friend who just lost someone that you know they really loved and and we almost went on kind of this camping trip like a grief camping trip type thing and everyone was just gathering around him and just you know wanted to spend time with him I'm going through this and and there was those nights staying up late till like 1 a.m just talking and talking all of us throwing in all of our ideas about everything and and there was that way you were describing it was kind of almost like a relaxing experience sometimes because it's like okay I don't have to think about this I don't have to figure it all out everyone's almost just kind of like lifting me up and talking about it and and it's almost like everyone's giving me options to choose from like I can prioritize you know like when um I don't know. It's, this is not a perfect example, but like when me and my wife are trying to figure out somewhere to eat and she's like, and I'm like, where do you want to eat? She's like, give me options. And then I can give her like three or four different restaurants. And then she might know what she wants to eat after hearing a few options. It's kind of like that. It's like, (laughs) I don't know what I feel that everyone chops in with what they, you know, might think help. And then it's like, Oh, it's kind of nice to have options. It helps me think through it. But then there's these other times where it's the solitude. It's the, the, you know, just going on a hike in the woods and actually we shouldn't be talking about it. We should just be, you know, jumping in the river and enjoying that time. It's that yeah. discernment. And yeah, I think what most... you're saying, Sorry, go, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, go for it. <laughs> I was going to say that discernment that we're talking about is, is like you're saying it's, um, it's okay to not know how to fix it. It's okay to not know how to make it better. You can just be present. And sometimes your presence is all that's needed. Yeah. And and it's that human connection that is the soothing part. And, and sometimes even when you get a bunch of friends together who say the wrong thing, it, it doesn't hold you back from Mm -hmm. being soothed or healed. I mean, I've got kind of a bunch of friends who could always be guaranteed to kind of pitch it and say something inappropriate or you know and and it becomes it gives you the chance to laugh about even really difficult situations and there's something really special about that um Mm. and it probably isn't for everyone maybe it's just um 
just us. I don't know. But, <laughs> but you know, it kind of sometimes having people say the wrong thing. I, I think with same, there's such a, there's such a gear towards um, we mustn't be uncomfortable and we must, people mustn't say the wrong thing and we mm. mustn't trigger each other and we mustn't cause any um, emotion in each other that's uncomfortable. And, and actually, God, I've learned so much from people who say the wrong thing to me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> little comments or things that have hurt my feelings or um, felt like it, that just really wasn't what I needed right now. I'd also learn so much from that about what I do need and that I can cope when, when the wrong thing is said that I know I can get through it. And, or when there's a serious situation and somebody makes light of it, you know, and um, like dark humor and stuff, Mm -hmm. there's something really special about all that. And, and so I think we can kind of get wrapped up in how can we be the perfect soothing friend slash therapist for people in our lives and sometimes we don't have to be sometimes we can be like goofy friend who kind of says the wrong thing and makes us <laughs> giggle at a funeral when we shouldn't or what you know because those yeah. kind of things that um there's something uh that that can be in the right relationship um and the right circumstance it can be okay yeah that's so good it gives permission i would imagine listening to that i feel that like just the permission and i have to get it right mm-hmm. and um and just to be there for a friend you love. Yeah. And yeah, I think even when we're going through the grief, surrounding yourself with people um, who know you and can make you laugh, I think is a great piece as well. And then also giving them permission. Like I think something that could help is when you're with your friends and you're going through the hard time, I mean, you're, you don't, you're not supposed to do this. This isn't your obligation, but it would be a kindness to just be like, you can make a joke here or there. <laughs> we can, uh, you don't have to say the right thing. I just really appreciate if we could just hang out and watch a movie for a few hours and maybe you don't know what you need either, but, um, I think having that be a collaborative experience and grieving together and support is always helpful. Yeah, absolutely. This is so good, Julie. Yeah. I'm excited for people to read your book. Um, I highly, highly recommend it. Where can people buy it? Oh, thank you. Um, everywhere. I think it's in target, which is crazy, right? Um, that's cool. I haven't, I haven't I seen it at target. I'm going to go to target just to see it. Um, <laughs> why has no one told me this before? That's the name of the book by Julie Smith. It's a, thank it's a great read. Sharing. I got the American cover with the, uh, with the matte white finish. And nice. I actually got yeah. the UK cover with the shiny white finish. So I have both editions. Did you? Yeah. I'm going to sell them on eBay for a fortune one day. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. and are you allowed to talk about your kind of projects in the future? I don't want to obviously yes, you can edit well, out if you're not allowed to talk about I it mean, yet. No, I mean you're you know as well as I am that procrastinating in writing is comes with the territory. But I um yeah, I have officially named the book and I have like four beginnings of my first chapter that I am not content with and I will continue to rewrite that chapter <laughs> until I figure out the right thing. I, um, it's good. I was, I was talking with my book agent and he's just like, just finish all the crappy chapters and then we can, yeah. we can chop them up later. And so that's, I guess I'm developing the skill that all writers have to develop eventually, which is how to yeah. get through putting it all together without over-criticizing it too quickly. So yeah. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and, and you're not allowed to say any more or is it sort of a broad yeah, subject area? There. 
Okay. I'll keep okay. it there. Yeah. That's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So wonderful to talk. I hope you feel better. Thank you for thank taking time you. to speak with me, even with COVID. That is I know. an honor. Yeah. I will be straight to bed after this. Yep. So, what is it 10 p.m so yeah oh, my, okay, my voice is my voice is starting yeah. to go but um yeah I thought I thought I was kind of invincible for a while there but COVID found me at last <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, well I hope that you recover swiftly and thank without you. any long-term effects I hope that you feel yeah. soon. yeah thank you and thanks for having me it's been great to chat <laughs>